You are listening to Chasing Threads. Two friends exploring fashion, culture, and everything in between. Where we unravel fashion history, fashion nuance, our favorite fashion icons, and pull the threads that tie them all together. So I am Diamond, and I describe myself as bohemian chic, and the quickest way to my heart is a compliment, a good meal, and a long, flowy dress. And I'm Chance. I grew up making dresses out of my mama's curtains and living vicariously through Vogue before I escaped to fashion school. So Chance, here we go. Are you ready? I'm ready. Diamond, are you ready? I'm ready. Let's chase these threads. Hey, Chance. Hi, Diamond. It's so good to see you. I know. It's good to see you, too. How was your day? How's your weekend going? My weekend is quite fabulous. You know, me and you used to work retail, so you know mm-hmm. December's, baby, they will work you to death. Then This yeah. is just any job, but definitely retail. Um, they will work you to death before the breaks and stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of, I don't work retail anymore, but my my job is like that now. We're, we're going on break on the 18th, and they're trying to just stuff everything. Bring in every do. little bit of productivity out of you. <laughs> yeah. Like leave, not leaving you a drop. <laughs> not leaving a drop. So yeah. yes, that's kind of what's happening now. I favorite. But this is after they have made us late. Like they have made us late. Mm. And so now they're trying to rush us after making us late. So, uh, so, so, so annoying. Yeah, but other so than annoying. that, it's been pretty good. I've been shopping. I've been buying new things because I am going to Egypt. And I'm like, oh, oh my God. I need to cut. You see my titties. I need yeah. to learn how to cover these titties up because, you know, you can't be have your titties out. You being chased around by the morality police. <laughs> Diamond on the run from the morality girls. <laughs> Wouldn't that be crazy to go to jail for indecency in a foreign Muslim country? I mean, it's a, it's a little bit iconic, but I don't know if it's worth, <laughs> you know, if it's worth the the stress. I had Googled, so what to wear in Egypt? And it said, you have to be covered from shoulders to below the knee. And so I say, okay, so I have t- like this, I have tons of things that are, you know, bell sleeved or, yeah. you know, something, but honey, the titties is always out. <laughs> you can't cover what God wants to show. I mean, no. sometimes it just, you it can't be contained. So I'm trying to find things that are all covered up, but also, you know, it's hot as hell in Egypt. So it has to be a thin fabric. And so covered up in thin fabric, it's hard for me to find those things. And so when are you going? I have a couple. Yes, that is my new tradition. My mom passed away in 2020. Mm-hmm. And my new tradition for myself, and she passed away in this time. Like my mom passed yeah. away um December 18th. Mm-hmm. And so in that regards, I have I said I'm I instead of me finding quote unquote new family members to go spend the holiday with. Let me start my own tradition and just go out of town. And that is my goal for the rest of my life for December, for Mm -hmm. me to travel to a new place in honor of my mom. Yeah. I love that. We do something kind of similar. It's just me and my mom and Anthony now. So we usually travel to like, just take a little day trip for Christmas, find a cute little Chinese restaurant because they're always open and Mm -hmm. eat some dim sum and, you know, right. it's it just gets boring, like sitting at home with just the three of us. And like, we just had Thanksgiving food. I don't need all that food again, you know, so just trying to switch it up. Feel yeah, different. I think that's important. What about you? What's been going on with you? SZA released her new album this week. So I know I've been everybody's doing, been talking about it. Literally this whole weekend, all I did was 
listened to it nonstop. I stayed up when it came out, regretted it Friday at work because I was so tired. But and then today they released the lyrics on Apple Music. So I've just been sitting in my garage getting very stoned, listening to SZA and trying to process all the new SZA-isms. Um, and then we actually went thrifting today in downtown Fort Worth, which was... <laughs> the the fashion girlies are not in Fort Worth. I can tell you that for sure. Not in my part of Fort Worth anyway. Um, I've had to convert basically to this like butch drag because the only stuff available here is like... I, I mean, like, we're about to go to Bass Pro, we're about to go to Cabela's, like, that's what my new look is always giving. Um, but today, I didn't even find anything. I got like some Christmas china, mm. but, no, but no clothes, no luck on the clothes front. What are your favorite places that you have been able to thrift at? I'm really like a Goodwill girl. Like, uh-huh. we see a Goodwill, I'm pulling off the highway, we're going. And I usually have decent luck there. Um we stay away from Salvation Army because they hate the gays. But yeah, I, I like Goodwill I, in Houston. Um, I don't know anywhere in the well, Heights. Anywhere. Like I like going like in the anywhere, Heights, like anywhere in the world. I don't. I mean, I I like Goodwill, like I said, because it's really accessible and mm-hmm. I know the layout. It's kind of like a Walmart. You know what you're gonna get yeah. no matter where you are. Um, and then if I can find like little local places, I like that. But like I said, it's been hard up here. Do you have any like local haunts that you love or places when you travel, like favorite thrift stores you found traveling? So my f- two all time favorite places to thrift is Boys Town in Chicago. Ooh, so yeah, Boys yeah. Town in Chicago, if you if anybody is, you know, from the Chicago area, Boys Town is like the neighborhood. It's like mm-hmm. um, where all the gays are. But also where all the bomb is, we know in cities that have like a long history, they usually have great thrift stores. And so Boys Town in Chicago, every store that you go to is really organized. I'm not somebody that it needs to be super, super organized, but it when it is, I appreciate it. It's super organized. Um, Everything is just they the usually they don't smell like basements <laughs> usually they're really really um clean and organized and smell great boys town in chicago that i love and my other one is paris mm. well oh. okay subtle flex subtle flex. <laughs> i'm like i can't find anything in fort worth you're like oh i'll just pop over to paris for you. <laughs> let me just wee 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 merci <laughs> no 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 because so i went to paris for the first time in um in may um, in April, for I stayed there for a month. Well, I stayed in Europe for a month. So I went mm-hmm. to Paris, I went to London, and I went to um, Reims and Nice, France. Um, it was a dream come true. But in Paris, I thought, you know, I'm a fashion girly, so I thought I was going to come to Paris, and it just was going to be fashion girlies running around. <laughs> Girl! Their fashion, like, I'm talking about every day. Of course, you know, the houses are there. The, yeah. the fashion houses mm-hmm. but i'm talking about street wear i'm thinking i'm gonna come and see some shit in paris child those girls was dressed so it's giving worse. fort worth it's get worse <laughs> i don't want to say worse but it was get, not giving what i thought it was gonna give i thought that i was gonna come and it was just gonna be a bunch of fashion girlies and it was yeah. not they had big bulky ass suits and tennis shoes on mm. like really like oversized men's suits with like tennis shoes that was really really common oh, wow. like it was i didn't understand i guess it was a it's a trend there i guess the most i probably seen 
out of the whole time I was there, I seen like maybe four people that was like, oh my God, their street style was like unique yeah. and, and interesting. So when I, as I'm walking through the, um, through the crowd, they were, people were stopping me saying, oh my God, you look so fabulous. And da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. I didn't think I was going to get that when yeah. I was um, in Paris. I feel like as I've gotten older, the whole like illusion of Paris being this magical mystical city has really i mean i've never been so what do i know but i feel like people are like it's dirtier than you think it is smelly people are way ruder than you think they are and you already think they're rude and they're even worse than that and like yeah like the fashions aren't giving it's like well damn mm. well, i'm trying to be miss mademoiselle i don't want to be like disillusioned what the hell yeah it was not um the food was amazing. I do. I have mm. to say that the food was really, really good. The cheeses, the fruits taste like fucking. I don't know what U.S. is doing to their fruit market, but they need to do whatever Paris is doing because <laughs> their fruit tastes like fucking candy. Like it tastes mm. like it's like, have I even ever tasted a strawberry? Because if it <laughs> tastes like this, I never did in my life. Yeah. It, it's something about the fruit that was amazing. The cheese and the bread, you know, bread in Paris is like they're unbeatable, their I'm sure. Yeah. And so the breads was fucking dope. Um, I can't say people were rude. Because I was in, um, we stayed in an Airbnb in the bougie area of town. Mm -hmm. And in that area, everybody was quite nice. It wasn't, oh, that's um, good. it wasn't, I didn't have any negative experiences in there. When you go out of Paris and you like in Reims, it, mm -hmm. it was kind of, they were a little jazzy, but yeah. it was a language jazzy. Because, you know, they're very, if you come to our country, you need to know our language. So yeah. we're not speaking English to you. So sweet. Do you speak any French? No, mm. I know we. <laughs> <laughs> Bonjour. <laughs> that is it. And so there, there was a language barrier that happens when you get out of Paris. In Paris, everybody speaks French and English. Yeah. Um, but out, it's like, honey, you come to our country, you need to learn our language. Mm -hmm. And yeah. we're not going to break our necks trying to figure it out for you. So yeah. what do you want to eat, sweetie? <laughs> <laughs> it is. It, I it give that vibe. But I wasn't mad because, you know, we'll give that in America, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, was just about, I was just thinking that. <laughs> so I wasn't mad. I was figuring it out. So that was amazing. But yes, thrifting in Paris. We went. Uh, we is some they have a chain of thrift stores and then they have other kind of thrift stores and baby you go in there and it is just you find things that are like what is going on like who made this and it's so yeah. quality and dope and i i just was so glad that i did it was so amazing now do you find as Okay, because as a plus size thrifter like myself, I feel like it, it's very hit or miss. Can you compare like the experience between the U.S. thrift size or thrifting while plus size versus like overseas? Have you noticed a difference? Baby, there is no plus size nothing in Paris. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you how late it is. We talked about this on my other podcast and Marshall's Plate when I first came back, but Okay, Chance, have you ever been in an elevator and you were anywhere near the maximum weight limit? It's usually like a thousand pounds maximum or something like that. 2,500 maximum. <laughs> yeah, two times. Nobody is ever yeah. that close to that. Yeah. 
there are elevators in Paris where they won't go because you're too big. No. The maximum will be the maximum will be um 280. Maximum will 280? be 280. Yes. The maximum will be 230. The maximum will be maybe I think the highest one we saw was like 320. And I'm right there, bitch, because you know I'm 5'11 and Girl, thick. Uh-huh. And so you you cannot go up the elevator with your um with your suitcase. <laughs> be, you have to you have to send your suitcase up first. This is how me and my homegirl had to do. We had to send one of us up first, and I couldn't stand in the middle of the elevator because in the middle of the elevator the scales will say oh she's too big for this i had mm -hmm. to i had to slide to the corner of the elevator so that the scales wouldn't pick up my actual weight <laughs> and and then it'll let me go up and then i had to get off and she send each each luggage up the elevator oh my while God. we while we're doing that so that was crazy every seat at every restaurant was made for a little person mm -hmm. and it was like some weird weak ass wicker so you don't know <laughs> if you're gonna fucking fall bitch oh we my god nervous bitch. lord <laughs> that so you're telling me if i go to paris everybody's gonna look like shit and i'm gonna be on the ground floor of every building because I, I can't get up okay facts because <laughs> you and they're gonna be like you gonna be looking at everybody it was like did you even, we were talking to each other we we're like do you even see any big people and no <laughs> <laughs> like we didn't see, but it, it's not made for you. It's not yeah. made for big people. We saw some, but we know that they were living just as uncomfortable as us. Yeah, we no stores went up to anywhere near our sizes. Mm. No stores. So even as the thrift stores, um, you know, you got to search, search, search for something that fits you. Yeah. But I got a lot of kimonos. I got a lot of purses. Really, really quality leather purses. Um, things that I thought were unique, scarf, really quality scarves and just different things like that. So it definitely is not in Paris. It is not yeah. for the big girl, period. Yeah, that's not that. I am I I think I could have guessed that. <laughs> yeah. Um, London, when you get to London, huh, totally different story, baby. The, the big girls are out. <laughs> really? And the fashion girlies are out. We went to London and I was like, oh, this is where we're seeing fashion. And I thought that maybe it was because you know, London is, honey, that's grandfather America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's daddy America. So I thought it was because of that, and it daddy might America. be, but it, it was totally different than Paris. Paris was very subtle and toned down and nothing was really stand out fashion wise. Yeah, I guess that also, I guess, kind of makes sense. Like, I feel like French people, as far as streetwear are known for like being classic and minimal. Which is funny because yeah. their fashion houses, you know, are usually the opposite, very extravagant, mm -hmm. rich Couture. fabrics. But yeah, but, yeah, mm, good to know. Now I know my little rundown for when I ever go to Europe. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm gonna. I definitely suggest people to go because I think it's a, it was a great experience. But if you're going because you think you're gonna see some fabulous fashion, child, <laughs> no. no. Would no, you go no, back no. to Paris? Oh yes, I. Yeah. If it wasn't so expensive, I would move there. Mm, yeah. 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 But it's one of the most expensive cities in the world.
Yeah. Well, you got expensive taste, you know. It is what it is. I try. I try to not. <laughs> I don't want those tastes. I don't want those. <laughs> All right, Diamond, are you ready to get into our trinket this week? Sure. Yes. Okay. Can you tell the people I, what a trinket is about? Yes, I love trinkets because it's just like a little, just a little dash of what's going on in the world. So we like to take something small, like a little, a little piece of history, fashion, culture. Just take a tiny little look into it and see how it, you know, how it's relevant this week, how it's relevant in the past. Um, just a little deep dive on a tiny little subject. What, are, what are we thinking of this week, Diamond? So this week, our trinket is going to be, since we're going to talk about Balenciaga later, mm-hmm. our trinket is the teddy bear. Teddy, teddy, teddy bear. Teddy bear. So the teddy bear is a toy classic, right? Mm-hmm. It is a toy classic. It is something that you don't even think of as like um, Americana. Like no. it just seems to like something that is global, but it actually was not global. It yep. is a birth. It was it was born of American culture. You don't think of it as being American, but you also don't even really think of it as being like created at all do you know what i mean like it just feels like something that just is been like, here that just from is. the beginning of time like yeah. a rubber ducky <laughs> yes, <very laughs> that. Yeah. so it comes from early 1900s so in 1900 1902 1901 really early the first years of the 1900s clifford berryman a political cartoonist created a lighthearted satire of President Theodore Roosevelt's refusal to shoot a bear while he was on one of his, you know, hunting Mm -hmm. trips. He had refused to shoot the bear and he wanted the bear to live. And, you know, he was being merciful and being gracious while he was out in his hunting. So Behrman created this cartoon and it, it, it appeared in the Washington Post, November the 16th, 1902. So because it became this popular cartoon, a guy named Morris Mitchum of Brooklyn, a Brooklyn candy shop owner, he saw it and was like, hmm, this is sparking an idea. And him and his wife, who was a seamstress, made these stuffed animals already. They were already making these stuffed animals for their candy shop. Yeah. So this year, they created a teddy bear. They named it Teddy Bear and at, contacted Theodore Roosevelt and asked him per- permission if they could name it Teddy Bear. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And it became such a popular hit that he founded a whole toy company based on this one popular. This basically the was back the first of the Elmo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where people were standing in line for this teddy bear. Yeah. His toy company was called the Ideal Toy Company that he founded. And to this day, the teddy bear has been like a worldwide popular thing. And its origins is Rose- Teddy Roosevelt. Now... My question was, in researching this, the political cartoonist, were they, like, writing this as a way to, like, razz Theodore Roosevelt to be like, oh, you're a softie for not killing the bear? Was that, like, the vibe behind it? Yes, it was the vibe behind it because... They were making it like he was weak. Yes, because during this time, it was the rise of 
the new woman feminism mm. remember 20 years later you know after a long battle women's suffrage happens yeah. 1920s but of course you know any kind of political change happens starts really really early because it takes forever for people to mm -hmm. get their shit together oh, yeah. we know that from <laughs> racism we know that from um queerness we learn that we know that from women we know that for any kind of political um socioeconomic or cultural change that helps people in in minority classes takes forever and so in this time there was this rise of women trying to come up off out of the arm of patriarchy there was a rise of queer people kind of coming out and being themselves and um and this idea of a city man a city man was demure think of like the gilded age think of mm -hmm. it was it was a, a refineness that refineness started to be interpreted as weak mm. and so teddy roosevelt created this whole propaganda campaign that was to boost himself up as the ideal um masculine image because he wow. was a skinny asthmatic weakling when he was younger yeah. he started to do things that made him stronger made him buff made him look like this manly man and that that goes for hunting that goes for um horseback riding and he started to um fetishize cowboy western free mm. masculine life as opposed to the city <laughs> these the city weaklings boys. yeah these city weakling soft boys i'm mm -hmm. this is the real manhood this is this is how you become a man and the things that men do that is why they did the cartoon because it was to make fun of him not killing the bear in other words not much has changed is what, <laughs> is what you're saying <laughs> yes not much has changed this has been a shift why this shift was happening with um teddy roosevelt is because white male Protestants, that life was kind of whatever that those rules, you know, that come from all the way back in like the Puritan days, those rules that this is the man, he has a family, he has a mm -hmm. wife, he the family unit is the core value of church, all that kind of stuff, masculinity and being in control of his household, all of those things were under attack with these shifting political and social cultural norms being changed and being yeah. questioned and being bucked up against. And so he was trying to create a new idea of masculinity, fetishizing cowboyness yeah. and being out in in the West. And you know, West was the was a new frontier for everybody. Mm -hmm. And the Indians was out there and all those kind of things. And it was his way of stamping and propagating and making propaganda around this is what masculinity looks like yeah. those feminine city boys is not what masculinity is mm -hmm. and so i thought that that was an that would be an interesting trinket because recently we had a mass shooting mm -hmm. that you know killed five to six people i think it was it think injured it was like 25 mm -hmm. and it would kill like five all of this anti-lgbt rhetoric all of this anti um trans rhetoric and all of this all this kind of uptick in white male cis heteronormative people mm -hmm. thinking that they are under attack christian that yeah. kind of real that demographic thinking that they are under attack and it leads to these type of mass shootings 
yeah. these type of attacks. This is a long history of what masculinity looks like, what it's supposed to be, and how it's supposed to look. And when those things go under attack, they kind of go crazy. So with Teddy Roosevelt being the 1900 version of the biggest mouthpiece of this, do you think, mm -hmm. who would you say today's version of that is? I mean, it's the entire GOP, but if you had to mm -hmm. pin it on like one big bad, like who do you think it's, who do you think the worst person right now doing this is? Oh, wow. Worst person. It's hard because they're all vile, but. Yeah. Another thing you got to understand is back in Teddy Roosevelt's day, there was a central way people communicated when it comes yeah. to newspaper and the, and people's images because they didn't have television, because they didn't have the speed of getting information and the freedom of platform and freedom of press was way siloed, mm -hmm. where now it's multiple teddies. We yeah. have, you know, Joe Rogan. We and have, each one is more extreme than the other. Or Right. Yeah. In different ways. Mm -hmm. We have Elon Musk. We have Kevin Samuels. We have so yeah. many different types and different silos of patriarchy and the rules around masculinity. And even the women, the pick me's. <laughs> the Marjorie women Taylor who, Green, Lauren Boebert, all these exactly. Yeah, exactly. They even can step up and become these kind of priestesses of patriarchy. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> love that. Right. I mean, I hate it, but I but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so they can become these kind of pillars of that culture. And so uh, I don't think I think the difference in our in our society now is that it's a it's a big um, dragon with a bunch of heads instead of one or two. Yeah. And so back then, because he was one of the most popular, if not the most popular man, because he was president, president in the yeah. country, he had a little bit more of a spotlight shined on him. Mm -hmm. And so now there are multiple spotlights and multiple people that fill that space. It was so much easier to control the narrative back then. Like yeah. they had such a grip on what image they wanted to push as far as what was American, what was a man, what was a woman. Mm -hmm. And you would think that that would be diluted now because everyone has a platform. And I guess it is diluted, but the problem is the people who, if they didn't have access to the people like talking all that bullshit and the thoughts just would get lost in their head. Now you can always find someone online who thinks exactly like you think. Even if you think the most insane, crazy stuff, you're going to find someone who's amplifying those same crazy thoughts and it's going to give you refuge which for queer people minority people is great you're finding a home that you might have never had before but for a white nationalist or a terrorist or and i terrorist i mean a white nationalist by the way mm -hmm. that's one and the same uh. it's giving them it's bolstering them and making them feel safer and making them feel like they can act out and do these things like these shootings on trans day of remembrance it's All like right. It's insane. It's so scary. Like we were, we were going to go out last night to see Miss Raja O'Hara in Fort Worth. Um, and I just, I got scared and I backed out and I know that that's not what we're supposed to do. Like that's letting them win a little bit if we get too scared to go out. But I don't know. It's especially being here in Texas where once again, Greg Abbott just won governorship. Um, I mean, I, you know, the whole midterm thing, it's like, Democrats, it was very successful for Democrats all over the country. 
But as you and I know here in Texas, it still feels suffocating. Like it's it's so scary. Um, and we've had conversations about this in the past, yeah. just like how we both separately deal with it. You're very much able to let it power you and let it empower you. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Sometimes it's I haven't got I don't know if I've evolved to that point yet. I'm still I'm still scared, unfortunately. And even, you know, like even since the last time we've talked, even like gender. And I know this is like a Marsha's plate, but (laughs) check out Marsha's plate. Um, (laughs) But like my like I was joking earlier about thrifting, like my persona has really taken on this like really butch, like strong look, even though in reality, like. I feel internally a lot more non-binary and a lot more femme than I've ever felt because I look the way I look now presenting the way I want to present or feel it, it just, there's a lot of barriers for me to feel and be who I want to be. So I have to put on this like cloak of safety a little bit, you know, that makes sense. That's fair. Yeah. I, I didn't mean to go this deep in a trinket. No, but. no, no. <laughs> I, no, I think, I think it's important. I think, and another thing why I am, the way you describe me is totally true. I let it empower me. Mm-hmm. Um, why I'm I am like that is because I, I think Trevor Noah he recently left the Daily Show and he put it quite beautifully. Black women don't have the chance, particularly black trans women. We don't have the luxury of fucking around and finding out. Mm, yeah, I can't fuck around and find out because we know how bad it can get. Even like with COVID, like people with the shit that happened with COVID. People were just now seeing a glimpse into the life of how trans people live Mm. on a regular basis. The isolation, the fear of something out randomly endangering you, Mm. Mm -hmm. the medical field not knowing what the fuck to do with what you got going on. That is some things. No, it's not exactly like COVID, but those same underlining feelings is something that trans people have been living with every day. Like I can get on the I can get on the bus or the train and just because somebody clocked me and I sit down next to them trying to go to work, they could get violent and attack me without me even provoking them. Mm -hmm. So these are things that we have been dealing with. Yeah. And so um, that people just started dealing with with COVID. And so that's what I mean when I say we don't we just never have the luxury of being able to cloak. Yeah. Mm, Now, you know, as a passing trans woman, there is a cloak that I do as well. So I don't Mm want to remove myself from that. There is a cloak of, you know, I want to be assumed to be cisgendered so I cannot deal with some of the stuff that comes along with being trans, but that is a privilege of mine. There are some trans women that do not have the ability to cloak. And so, you know, and understanding those nuances of our experience, yours, mine, anybody Mm -hmm. who is listening, those are the nuances that make you different, that gives you power and gives you, um, you know, ways that you might be able to buffer some of the negatives that come in life that other people may not. And so I think our responsibility as people is to um, do what we can within our own mental health capacity, do what we can to give people tangible mechanism to be able to keep them safe and help them buff as well. Yeah. And so that's wonderful. Yeah, I think that that's important. Um, I think that's important in our life. I think that's important in our culture. I think um, that's the practice of building practice 
a building community. That yeah. is that is what you do. And so we wanted the teddy bear to be the trinket this week because it's been getting its <laughs> shine mm-hmm. in the news around Balenciaga, which we will talk oh, about yeah. later. Next time you hold your sight, think Theodore Roosevelt, think of the page. You know, you was, you was at Build-A-Bear putting the, your grandma's voice in there thinking this is going to be a sweet <laughs> little gift, not knowing it was actually a tool of the patriarchy. Okay. As with <laughs> most things in the world. <laughs> not knowing the history. Yeah. This week's trinket is the teddy bear. All right, Diamond, so we teased a little bit about teddy bears and Balenciaga and what's been going on this week. I am so excited to hear what you think about this. Since we've decided to talk about this, it's been the only thing on my mind because I think that maybe my opinion is not in line with everyone else's. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, I don't know, I'm just, I can't wait to hear what you got to say. Do you want to give everyone a little a little precursor into what's been going on with Balenciaga? There are two new Balenciaga campaigns that are ignited, that have ignited like a firestorm of allegations Mm -hmm. and saying that the brand is condoning and promoting child exploitation. And pornography. And pornography. (laughs) The, the, The fallout began in November. Balenciaga published a campaign called the Balenciaga Gift Shop which featured images of children with the brand's handbag that looks like a teddy bear in bondage gear. Okay, right off the bat, before we go any further, Mm -hmm. do you think the bags are giving or do you think they're not giving? I don't think the bags are giving. Oh, see, I think they are. I would absolutely have one personally. Okay, okay. It goes with your aesthetic. I'll not the child explanation, but... (laughs) The dark retract, retract, not the child part. No, 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 no. <laughs> but the, the you know, the soft little teddy bear with some bondage clothes on. Mm-hmm. That's you. You just described yourself. That's it, true. You know, you are a soft teddy bear, but you got this outward harder edge to you. That is you. okay. Not you clocking me. Okay, not okay. I didn't know this was therapy, too. Come on now. Damn. All in one stop. <laughs> Therapy, podcast, fashion show review. Come on. Right. <laughs> so I can see why you like it. I guess that is what it is. Like, there's something so cool about, like we talked about in our trinket, this like iconic thing, like iconic image turned on its head. And especially in this concept, like the juxtaposition of soft versus hard. But anyway, let me not get too carried away because the real issue here is the child endangerment, I suppose. Absolutely. When you first saw the images and first heard about the controversy, did you see them and think, and I know there's more to it that we're going to get to, but just right off the bat, did you think, oh, this is something's not right here? Did you think it was icky? Like, what were your first thoughts? No, I did not think something wasn't right. I thought it was something that fashion does a lot, and that's juxtaposition, where they will put something that doesn't seem like it goes together with something that is a little more hard edge. And so a teddy bear with bondage, you know, uh, yeah, I can see that happening. This soft little plush toy with the hard, um, a black leather, totally see the juxtaposition in that imagery. What really was like, ooh, was kind of threw off is when they were talking about in the in the picture, 
they had the the court case that was connected mm-hmm. to very weird that was weird as hell so can you talk about the court case yeah so not only did they have the teddy bears and the like bdsm get ups and the purses they also had like if you zoomed in on one of the set designs of one of the images like diamond said there was some court cases from the supreme court that like legal documents that were talking about child porn laws so it was like this weird like do they know what they're doing okay like i said i when i first saw it did not think it was a thing like i was like this is like people are overreacting this is not a big deal like i didn't even read them as bdsm to be quite honest i was just like oh punk like that's what i kind of thought but then you add the child porn cases thing in the back and it's like like i said do y'all know what y'all are doing was this a was this on purpose like what are we doing here it's creepy that part is creepy yes it had to be so that court case was in 2008 is a decision that the supreme court came to in the u.s versus williamson where the case examined whether laws banning the pandering pandering or promotion of child pornography curtails the first amendment freedom of speech rights Mm -hmm. so there's no way that you added that stuff unintentionally. That's not because, that's not an accident. Like, oh, let's let's randomly draw up some Supreme Court. First of all, the, the it's that weird in general. Happen. Yeah, it's like it's so <laughs> weird. What crack were they smoking? So for me, there was there are just some obvious insinuations. There's some obvious. I don't think it's a, even a question of whether or not it was intentional. The question is. What is your intended purpose and intended message? To what end was it on What was the point in this? Yeah. Sometimes your message, while you're creating it, it can be, it can make sense, but mm-hmm. the delivery and execution just does not land on people well. And as a, as a content creator, as somebody who has tried to do these creative viral waves of creating messaging, I have experienced that. Let me give you a perfect example. You've experienced was, backlash? Um, backlash. It's two things that I've created that I've gotten backlash for. Okay, now, I'm not okay. some big celebrity, so I wouldn't <laughs> could I wouldn't control make it seem like um it's like that to that level, but backlash from my own audience. I had done a video about suicide. It was an anti-suicide video. That yeah. was the ultimate message that I thought that I was conveying. In the beginning of the video, I was exploring ways to kill yourself. So Mm -hmm. I had a shotgun, I had a a noose, I had um, pills, and I was enacting what would happen if I was doing this thing and why would I want to do this? I was making jokes about when the shotgun was... um, I was like, oh, shit, I don't want to use no shotgun because then I wouldn't be able to be pretty in my casket. (laughs) Like I was making jokes like that, just acting out different ways I would die. Mm -hmm. But at the end, I went back to I went to none of these are good ways to die. You don't want to die. Everything gets better. This is during the time where, you know, it gets better. Moving was popping off back in early like 2009. It was too jokey for a serious topic, and some yeah. people were offended by it. Even though you knew you were doing it to prove like a bigger point, and it, yes. it was going to circle back around. Yeah, out of context, it looked kind of weird. It looked kind of weird. Yeah, and so because of how I ended it, you could tell what my point was. It was obvious, but the issue with Balenciaga is if there is a bigger point, it, it is not clear here. 
all we see is an image. All we see is an image of a child with a teddy bear in bondage. We don't see what's the point. Maybe you as an artist knows the point, but we are not getting it. So you need to tell us. Yeah, it's weird because when they did finally like come out and take accountability for what was happening and kind of give somewhat of an apology at first, I feel like there was no kind of explanation. Like there was no, which I guess maybe they knew because at that point, no one wanted to hear an explanation. They were just like, oh, fuck, everyone is pissed. Like no matter what we say now, there's no point trying to explain it. Let's just like wash our hands of it. Right. Which leads me to like, what did you think of their response initially they tried to like kind of push the blame off right like they pushed it on the photographer and the set designer like they didn't really take full responsibility from what i can recall they apologized but it was very um you know they wanted to sue the photographer and my thing is y'all approved this like it's Mm -hmm. it's when you when we're talking about a big ass company like this it does it doesn't just go through one person (laughs) it goes through a team of multiple people and y'all can't tell me that and you know they have had a history of controversy when it comes to them that you know they love to backpedal on um i just feel like they it just got the heat that they normally get. Like a, mm-hmm. this would the, they they apologize, but you know, of course, they try to say that they didn't have anything to do with it. But yeah, it's hard for me to believe that either. It wasn't well, enough it, for me. No, I don't think that was good enough. And also, too, I actually read an article with the uh, photographer who said that he was like getting death threats, and people were like saying they were going to kill him and his family, mm-hmm. and that kind of to your point that like not so many people were involved in this with Balenciaga that the child models were actually children of Balenciaga employees. So it's like on every level they were involved and no one thought to say, hmm, this might not, maybe this is not going to get the reaction we want it to. And, you know, and they're known for, let me think of all the things that I remember them doing. Um, Remember they had that like, um, that Ikea shopping bag, (laughs) <laughs> that they oh, were selling yes, yes do you remember they had croc heels that just looked like regular croc with some heels yeah um the they weird were alien bodysuits like yeah um that's the um little i'm uh, not little kim um kim kardashian at the met gala in them, mm-hmm. that black um i remember they were selling these like destroyed sneakers for two thousand dollars now i do have okay I do have <laughs> some fake from China Balenciaga chunky sneakers that I love and wear all the time, but they're fake. <laughs> the brand did not get any of my money. Okay, just saying. <laughs> Wasn't this something that they did where they were sending like refugee looking people down the runway with trash bags? Yes. One of their most recent shows was giving very much like Mordor, Lord of the Rings, like orcs crawling out of mud. Like they, they really love to do ooky spooky icky stuff and i guess that's that's what they thought they were doing here like fashion is i understand fashion is meant to be edgy and like have people talking so i i understand like you said that they in the room were like oh we're about to blow people's minds like this is going to be so cool but mm -mm, mm -mm. when you add kids that is when you need to really be very 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 vigilant 
vigilant about yes. what are you promoting with the children mm-hmm. when you know kids are going to be in your campaign that is when you need to be like okay what is happening here yeah. um and when you don't do that I, you know look it, this is what happens you get a backlash when yeah. you know it just feels weird do you think they will recover because i mean we've seen brands like i feel like gucci every other year has some huge like racist scandal where you know something weird like that like a lot of the brands have big particularly when it comes to racism, like big scandals, and they seem to bounce right back. Do you think this is going to be any different for Balenciaga? I think they're going to bounce right back. I think that all they got to do is come up with some cool looks, put them on cool celebrities, and yeah. lay low, be be a little bit conservative for a couple of seasons, and then pop right back with your normal little creepy stuff. Just don't, yeah. They just won't use kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just don't think it's going to go anywhere to make them accountable in that kind of way yeah Yeah, they'll see some sales go down but there's tons of stuff that they've done in the past that are like "Eh, yeah yeah you did mention kim kardashian too you know how we love to sprinkle her in here every couple episodes (laughs) just have a little kim k moment (laughs) she's their biggest like brand ambassador to me like kim is synonymous with balenciaga at this point she has such a close working relationship with dimna the creative director um, and so did Kanye. I go back and forth on whether or not these response, these celebrities have a responsibility to comment. It's like, is Kim at all responsible for this ad campaign? No, but as a mother, well, I don't know. I hate to say that because I'm not a mom, but I will say it's just like, she is known for being a mom and being a fashion icon and being, is she not, would you say she's known for being a mom actually? Known for being a mom. No. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> no, Maybe that's not a good we way. We know to she say is it. a mom, but I don't want to say she's known for <laughs> being like a she's a her mom is known water. for being a mom. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Okay. <laughs> Let me put it this way: I don't think she's known for being a mom, but I think she wants us to think of her as a mom, mm. and I think that maybe her response didn't really fall in line with that image that she's trying to give us her response i thought was a little weird because it was a little like yes this isn't great like i'm not happy with it but what would you thought would have been i I don't know i just didn't feel like she distanced herself as fast or as strongly as i kind of thought she would i heard a lot of people say well like you can't break contracts you know it's whatever whatever it's like kim kardashian is the most famous person in the world arguably and like the richest person in the world it's like she can break a fucking contract and it not hurt her and it like it doesn't affect her at all so if i were her i would have been like and most contracts has a clause that if you if something like this happens like a little you can get out of it yes yeah yeah i don't know i just i would have been immediately like i'm parting ways with balenciaga i hope they get to the bottom of this i think it's disgusting in the story but she is in a peculiar situation you know she's already a take kanye out take balenciaga out kim kardashian is a controversial celebrity anyway so add those things i can see her being in a space where i have to say something about it but i also don't want to drag a brand i don't want to do that because i don't know what is going to happen in the future for me and my business and my image and all that kind of stuff. And so I want to make sure that I say something against that, but I also just want to just not make it such a big deal to where I'm just, I want to move on because this has nothing to do with me. Exactly. Because say what you will about Kim Kardashian, if she's anything, she's a businesswoman and she's a very good one. 
So she knows that give it two months and this is going to blow over and she can be in the next Balenciaga campaign as they're like, come back and it's going to be great for both of them. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. That is that is what when people talk about, oh, them bitches don't have no talent. That is their talent. Their talent yeah. is monetizing their popularity. And getting us to talk about them nonstop. Boom. So Balenciaga, get y'all shit together. Stop using children and using these creepy ass photographers that have some agenda. You might have loved their work and maybe just, I'm just going to give you a grace a little bit. Maybe you didn't know the photographer's agenda, maybe, mm. but he had work like this before. Yeah. And absolutely. so it's like, come on, like, yeah. Mm-mm. Do some background checks, leave mm-hmm. the kids alone, leave the Ikea bags alone. <laughs> and we'll and the refugees it. alone. <laughs> Period. <laughs> Chance, did you see Wakanda? I did. Have you seen it? I have seen it. I've seen it. I've seen it on the first. I, as soon as I came back from the Maldives, I had already bought my tickets before I went. And then I went there. What a way to come back to America. To see Wakanda. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> to go right on another mental escape. <laughs> Overall thoughts. Were you happy with it? What did you think? First of all, ecstatic because I really, I went to see the first one. Mm-hmm. four times yep but i was i knew this was going to have a little bit more money i knew that it was going to be a bigger scale i was expecting you know uh, a chadwick tribute i was waiting for some surprises like how was killmonger gonna come mm-hmm. how was um who was gonna be the neck of black panther yeah who how were they gonna do all of these things i was so excited to see killmonger come back i thought that was such a cool look. oh by the way spoilers if you haven't seen it yet, i guess <laughs> sorry <laughs> it's been out long enough you should have been seen it yeah you've had time it's about to be streamed. You you've had plenty of time black panther is one of my favorite marvel movies i think mm-hmm. Ryan Coogler and his team is so good at, they're really great at world building. Like when you're in Wakanda, you really feel like you're in Wakanda. Wakanda. Um, Like they do such a great job of that from the music to the costumes, which we're gonna get into a little bit. Um, It's just, I, I felt, it felt nice to like be back in, you know, sometimes with the MCU, especially recently, I don't know if you're a big Marvel girly, but, a lot of the most more recent titles, they're very into like weaving the bigger picture together and really uh-huh. making sure you know you're in the multiverse and like there's a cameo from every other superhero. Yeah. Um, but Black Panther feels very contained, which I like a lot. They were complaining about none of the Avengers being at his funeral, but I thought the reason why they said that, the reason why they did that was a perfect excuse. They said that it was to not distract from the tribute of Mm -hmm. Chadwick. They didn't want it to be a bunch of cameos when we're trying to showcase um, Chadwick and the character. We didn't want it to be just a bunch of celebrities coming in with that. I I thought that that was was a great... Exactly. I think that's a great, a great take on it. One of the most memorable scenes to me is the funeral procession as they're kind of going through Wakanda and walking his casket down and you see all the dancers and the citizens like all in white. And it's just, it's such this like moment of like, it's such an emotional like awe moment. You know what I mean? I cried a lot during the movie. (laughs) It Mm. was, I thought that it was a really good testament to Chadwick Boseman as not only a character in Black Panther, but also as a human and an actor and his position in Marvel Studios. I thought they did a really good job. Um, 
But talking again about the world building and the costuming of it all, um, you know, the stakes were so high in this movie because not only did they have to like tell the story of Black Panther now that Black Panther is gone and dealing with the, you know, real world effects of Chadwick Boseman dying, but it's also on a more superficial level, which is what we love to do on this podcast. Um, the stakes for fashion were so high because in the first movie, you know, I really think of Black Panther actually as not only a superhero movie, but also a fashion film because the fashions are so important to it. And in the first movie, you know, people really, really reacted to the fashions and really latched onto it. Um, so much so that there was like a New York Fashion Week, Black Panther themed show, which I've actually posted on our Instagram if anybody wants to check it out. Shiri's makeup that she had in the first movie, like it became one of the highest trending tutorials on YouTube for how to recreate that makeup. Like people just really latched onto the costuming of this movie. And the costume designer, Miss Ruth E. Carter, won an Academy Award for her work on the first film, making her actually the first black woman to do so, which I thought was very, very interesting and great and long overdue, by the way, because she had worked on a million movies in Hollywood um, and had never quite gotten her due. So it was exciting that she did that for Black Panther. But all of that to say that that meant the stakes were so high coming back to Wakanda. One of the things that I, in my research, was really impressed by was listening to Ruth Carter talk about what they did for preparing for this movie. So again, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, um, there's some new characters introduced that are that live underwater, which by the way, those scenes were so beautiful to me and I loved how they really took care of the Mesoamerican like influences and looks and it, it just felt really genuine and real, um, which I really liked. Ruth Carter talked a lot about working with Iris Van Herpen, who we know has very like organic looking designs and very of the earth um, to put on all of these Talokan warriors. So it looks all of their suits just very look very natural in and out of the water. Um, mm. And you can really tell that they took that care to do that. She said that they everything they designed, they water tested it in this like, huge pool to make sure it would look right on camera and that everything flowed correctly. Um, I thought that was really interesting. Another look, like I said, that I really loved was during the funeral procession. Um, Angela Bassett, who, by the way, should win an Academy Award for this movie. Like, she, every scene she was in, ate it up, devoured it, chewed it. Like, I thought she did so. Yeah. I mean, she always does well. But to see that level of acting in a Marvel movie, it was like damn, we don't even deserve this. Like, <laughs> Come on. She is giving it to us. In the funeral procession, she's wearing this beautiful white cream gown. Um, and you can tell that her headpiece and shoulder pieces, it's actually all 3D printed. Ruth Carter said that she wanted to really sell the idea that Wakanda was so technologically advanced that they had already reached the point of wearable art. And they were like, way further than we would be in America or anywhere else with it. Mm -hmm. So a lot of her headpieces in the movie are actually... Um, Zulu inspired, which I thought was really cool, but 3D printed. So this yeah. another take on like something classic, but in this new modern meeting way. Modern. Exactly. Yeah. Were there any looks that you remember like standing out to you at all? Suri. Suri always gives me uh, nerdy lesbian vibes. Thank you. She's giving me butch. Like <laughs> yeah. I was like, she's about to go pull out the strap. Like yes, like... <laughs> track suits. It looks like futuristic Afro futuristic track suits. It's like to me, Suri is like what lesbians would look like in, you know, three thousand thirty. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was 
those things really stand out to me, you know, and of course there were some little cute little scenes in the plot where you that in gave some LGBT innuendos. Mm -hmm. And so I really enjoy that. I think my favorite character fashion wise is Rwanda. Yes. Um, you know, in the white, even there's a scene where she's standing looking out this window and she got this purple a gown. Purple? Oh, yes, yes, that is so yes. dope to me. That is so, so, so dope. Ruth Carter, the designer, also talked a lot about that purple dress, the dress that she wears at the very beginning scene when she's addressing the UN Council. Mm -hmm. If you notice, a lot of Ramonda's dresses are sleeveless. And Ruth Carter said that that was actually an intentional decision because she wanted to show that at this point, Queen Ramonda has lost everything. She's been stripped bare of everything that she mm -hmm. has. And so she wanted to really show her as this strong, feminine, but bare woman. And I thought that was such a, like a, such a small detail that really mm -hmm. made a big impact, I thought. Yeah, I think it's great too. And also a lot of her dresses, she said, uh, another purple one that she wears, are actually done in Wakandan hieroglyphics, like all the way down. Mm. Um, and so she has these big headpieces and then hieroglyphs all the way down. So she was saying that she has now become a living totem of Wakanda. She is all of their emotions, their hopes, their dreams have been put back into her now. Mm. And it's really it really crystallizes in her fashion, which is, I love when people tell stories through fashion like that. Absolutely. I mean, it's what makes That's, us love fashion. That's what makes us love fashion. Yeah. And even when she was coming to speak to Nakia, mm -hmm. um, that kind of different layered dress that she had on with the boots, yes. I thought that that was dope too, because it's still, it was fresh. Like it wasn't just, um, it gave a woman of age that still worried about how she looked. <laughs> yes, yes. That wasn't just about being regal. I can come and be fashion forward and this is how, yeah, I'm going to be in my gowns when I'm in my palace and when I'm speaking to these people, but I'm coming to tip through to talk to my um, daughter-in-law. And so- And I still look like a fucking queen. I still look like a queen, and but it's going to be fashion forward. And I'm going to give yep. you a heel and give you a boot and give you this mm -hmm. nasty little hem. And so I thought that that was, that's something that stood out to me. I, I do think that she definitely took the cake as far as like fashion and the strongest looks in the in the movie. Although Shuri had some really, like you said, the, the track suits, they all were done by Adidas. Um, they were, I mean, I want pretty much all of them. I love to feel like a lesbian. That's really my vibe most of the time. Mm -hmm. So I did love those track suits. I also thought that when, if you remember when she was, I guess, not kidnapped, but when they took her to Telecon for the first time um, and they gave her that really flowy, soft dress. It was, I think mm -hmm. it was the first time in the movie she looked very soft like that. Gotcha. And then they put that like um, stone neck piece over it. It was like really draped so gorgeous and the way it moved in the water and the lights hit it she had some really standout moments i thought too especially when when she was with namor and telecon so we were talking about the procession when everybody had on white i love that she looked like um anakin from star wars but in white <laughs> i wonder <laughs> if that was on purpose like if she you know this this new power coming into their own yes. i wonder if that was like a theme they were trying to that's with. what it gave me i remember when anakin was going further to the dark side this is just opposite this goes mm -hmm. to a different direction this goes to the light she's going into her black pantherhood and so yeah. she's going to the light side and so 
um, and going through that internal battle of what she wants to do. Because, you know, part of Shuri's battle, particularly in this movie, was, you know, I don't really believe in this shit. And I don't really, um, you know, I'm more of a sciencey girl than this mm-hmm. kind of spiritualist motherfucker. And so that's a battle for her to get across in, in becoming the, the Black Panther. And so seeing her, that imagery to me, with that hood on, that white hood, it, it invoked to me when um when Anakin was going to the dark side and when he was younger and you well, seen another, him in that hood and his eyes. Exactly. Another theme of this movie too is the that whole concept of like she's at this turning point of on a very watered down level. Do I choose the light the path of light or do I choose the path of dark? Which is you know why she sees Killmonger again. Yeah. And she could have very easily let that i mean once queen ramonda is killed which by the way i that was my least favorite part of the movie yeah. um i guess i understand why they had to do it but i need angela bassett and everything i ever watch i guess shuri could have very easily let that revenge like and that eat hatred up. eat her up and turned into fucking what is his name killmonger no what's the guy that anakin turns into oh darth vader yeah Sure, he could have easily let that hatred eat her up and she could have turned into Darth Vader of the MCU. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do like those parallels with that. I think that's a really interesting catch there. Yeah, I think I think it's really, really important because and important that Killmonger came back at that time, because I think it speaks to when you're battling and things become a threat to your people, your community, your family. Sometimes you need that Nat Turner to come up out of you. Sometimes you need that um, Denmark VC to come out of you. Sometimes you need that Gabriel Parker to come up out of you. Yeah. You need that more Malcolm X by any means necessary to come up out of you instead of that Bayard Rustin and that yeah. Martin Luther King to come up out of you. And while the Bayard Rustin and the Martin Luther King is, you know, an admirable turn your other cheek kind of way yeah. of battling. There is another type of person that sometimes you need to survive because the opposite can be so ugly. Yeah. The your opposition can be so ugly to you and so unrelentless and so yeah, you turn your other cheek and then they're they're cutting it with a knife. <laughs> you know Don't where you they- love how everything we talk about all feeds right back in each other is the yes. same shit that we were talking about at the beginning. Literally the same shit. It's like yeah. do you let this hatred and what people are doing? eat you up and take Uh you over and cloud everything you're doing Mm -hmm. or do you let it fuel you and fire you up and make change and lead your people and sometimes you need that to survive yes we we love a moment where you can take the high road and it works out for you we we love a michelle obama you know when they go low we go high we we you know there's a there's times when that actually works (laughs) but there are also times when Taking the high road makes you more vulnerable to the disgusting depths of low mm. that the opposition can take you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, there are some people who were turning the other cheek and being good Christians, and then they end up hung on a tree or mm. drowned in somewhere or murdered or raped. I'm trying not to be this person and tell on this person um, to get them in trouble and boom, boom, they rape me or, you know, they, it makes me more vulnerable to their harm. And so I think in, in Wakanda, when they gave that kind of the ancestor that you needed to show up for you at the time, to me, 
for Suri was Killmonger. He says, yo, it's time to fuck some shit up. These people are coming to blow some shit up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, you trying to take the high road, motherfucker. This is this is what happens. Your fucking mama die. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I get it, you know, but then that happens. And now Rwanda is her ancestor that can come up and teach her in a whole new way. So I think yeah. it's I think that's that's a lesson in that moment for me that I took from the film. Another person that I really, really, really enjoy, and I don't think they get get as much um, shine as the other people because the other people's are more colorful and more, you know, uh, like kind of more out there, is uh-huh. Umbaku. I think yes. h- how they dress him when he's, um, you know, he to me, he's one of the comic reliefs of the mm-hmm. movie. He always is saying something funny, something that, <laughs> that's gonna make you laugh and so and he's not, also just there for eye candy because i'm and, happy to and, feast my and eyes not only is he just a thick fine <laughs> yummy thick thigh man <laughs> jesus yes <laughs> not not only because of that but um i just how they they mix the textiles with him and the fur because you know the jabari they're jabari right yes yes, yes the yes. jabari um live in a colder climate than wakanda they yeah. are in some mountains and it's snowing. It's it's yeti like, mm-hmm. <laughs> so they need to have the mix between using the textiles and um and the harder things that that seemed like they look heavy added to the fur yeah. on his body. And I just thought is I just think I just think that his outfits are really really intricate. When you look at them, they're really like it's one that has like even like a thing that's shaped like a face on his mm-hmm. chest, like a gorilla. It, it's so cool. I yeah. I do think that they did a very good job, especially with Mbaku, of keeping him immediately recognizable. Like he looks the same as he did in the first movie, but when you really look close, the details have been elevated, uh, elevated, it's so, so intricate and just it's like yeah, his gauntlets. Mm-hmm. With the spikes on it and the fur, I thought that that was fucking dope. Even his little um staff, his little weapon staff that he was mm-hmm. fighting with, that was dope. And another thing, you know, it can get kind of, and, and this is just my African-American brain being sensitive, but there's a way that even, like you just said, the gorilla, there there's a way that that can easily turn into a racist trope. Mm-hmm. But the way they do it is so cute and not cute. That's not the right word. Um, <laughs> it, it's so detailed and respected. It doesn't travel down that road of being a trope for him. It, they do it with so much care that you can tell that it's referential, not stereotypical. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. And there's a reason why. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why. You know, they pick this animal, they pick this person. It, and, and and because we know the history of Wakanda, you know it's not coming from, we know gorillas are in Africa and we know it's not coming from this image, this racist image of the past because Wakanda didn't get affected by that. Mm-hmm. And so we can easily, ha- we can easily see how the gorilla can be a, a revered animal for this masculine 
tribe, uh, warrior mm-hmm. tribe mm-hmm. of Jabari without it having that history of racist trope that me as an African-American can easily reflect on, I can see how they did it with respect and reverence and it doesn't give um, that kind of trope. And I love that as well. Well, and I also think, and I hope I'm not speaking out of turn on this, but I think that's what's so important about Afrofuturism in fashion and in things like Wakanda Forever is it gives people of color, particularly black people, it lets you live in this world where trauma is not at the center of everything necessarily. Do you know what I mean? Which is so like, you have to have that to to have some kind of refuge. Um, And I think that all comes back to Ruth E. Carter, you know, who has Mm -hmm. rightfully so won her first Oscar for this role. Um, She's been around for a while. Like I said, she did Coming to America. She did Selma and Do the Right Thing. She Um, did um, School Days, which is one of my favorites. Oh, really? Yeah. But yeah, I just wanted to highlight the looks in Wakanda Forever because I loved living in that world for a little bit. Um, Again, Ruthie Carter's work is so amazing and she does such a good job of bringing vibrancy and nuance and color to these to these characters. Um, so just wanted to shout her out. By the way, if you do love her looks and if you love her work, she does have a exhibition currently going on. It's called Afrofuturism in Costume Design, Ruthie Carter, um, running from November 14th to April 3rd at the Telman Museum in Roanoke, Virginia. So if you are in Virginia and want to check out some Afrofuturistic looks from Miss Ruthie Carter, make sure you stop by and do it. Otherwise, just Watch Wakanda Forever when it starts streaming on Disney Plus, like I will be every night. Bam. All right, Diamond. So wrapping up, it's been a very, lots of been going on in fashion this week with the news and everything. But have you seen any looks that you haven't been able to stop thinking about, that you're drooling over? Anything that's caught your eye this week? Oh, gosh. Yes, absolutely. So... Thursday was the release of Harry and Megan's um, documentary. I have not watched it yet. I'm so Uh, excited. On Netflix. And it is so good. It's a multiple part. So they released the first two parts this Thursday. This Thursday just passed. It's Saturday. Mm, Chef kiss. It was so, so, so good. First of all, you get into the details of how their relationship started, how um, just things in their you know, the details of the relationship that mm-hmm. people kind of have been speculating about, but they're confirming this is what happens. Yes. The biggest thing that I keep seeing is her. So I guess there, I'm sure you're going to talk about it, but I guess there's one part where she talks about having to curtsy to the queen and people in England are now using that as a way to say that she's mocking their culture and that she's being racist but it's only allowed to be called racist when it's against her you know they all that all bullshit but you remember in the crown there was a moment of teaching diana proper way to deal yes, there was an etiquette not necessarily class but there was a, a, a process of getting her prepared for mm-hmm. being a royal megan said there was not a etiquette class for oh, her. Wow. And I said it was, it was, it's just not for you. They didn't want mm. you to be in this circle. So you yeah. didn't get the etiquette class. They were icing every- her ass out. Right. And yeah. so no, you didn't know the curtsy and what to do and blah 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 blah. And then Harry being a boy <laughs> that was born into this, 
he couldn't just inform you on every single thing. But she was she was made it very, very clear that there wasn't some class that taught her how to be in spaces like this. Well, that's what I actually did see a lot of tweets saying that it was so people were saying like it was Harry's fault, saying, like you said, he was born into this. And so he should have had more. He should have taken a bigger role in letting her know what she was coming into. But I I just don't think how does he know what a black woman is going to experience going into the he monarchy? Doesn't. You know what I mean? He doesn't. He doesn't at all. And he's there's a naivete that comes with somebody like him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just it's just what it is. A couple of key points that I learned that I didn't know is that the UK taxpayers have paid reparations to slave owners all the way up until 2015. No, why? Gag me. <laughs> what the? Gag yeah. me. Wait, okay, let's back to slave owners. Owners. Okay, and and what and what exactly are they getting reparations for? Because when the slave trade stopped, when it was abolished, they lost they, profit. They lost profits Girl. because of their property was no longer property anymore, and they had invested in it. And the <laughs> government said, "You know what? You're right. So we're gonna pay you until 2015." And it stopped in 2015. Oh my. God. <sighs> Gag. So that's number one. Number two, Harry found Megan on IG. <laughs> no, not the prince sliding into the DMs. Y'all bitches better make sure you're off private because as prince is waiting to slide in your DMs, is what exactly. we're learning. Okay. <laughs> How random is that? She so one of her homegirls posted her on their Instagram, and Harry followed one of her homegirls, and he saw Megan in the background and slid in his home her homegirls DM, oh and said, God. "Hey, who's that in the back? What's up with her? Introduce <laughs> us." Who's your friend <laughs> to the left? Who's that over there? That is so funny. And they met and hit it off and started secretly dating for a bunch of months and went on a African safari trip, just alone with each other, their third time meeting. And it was, it just worked. Sparks. I said, wear it out. For real. Harry took accountability for his Nazi costume. So much shit happens. I had literally forgotten about that. Yeah. So much shit has happened. Yes. And I just want to repeat the UK taxpayers have been paying <laughs> reparations <laughs> to the slave owners all the way up until 2015. And yes, so anyway, what none of that has anything to do with fashion, but <laughs> I want to, <laughs> I wanted to bring those things up just because I'm a bitch for history. Yeah. And, and, but the fashion part of the show was so Megan coming into this circus is, is now having to take fashion advice from. Mm. You know, and one of the rules was you do not want to be wearing one of the colors that the queen is wearing. You yeah. do not want to be wearing one of the colors that the other royals are wearing. So, but they were like, so, so Megan is like, so what do I wear? Like what, um, you know, there was one moment where she wore this um, orange gown and it was because previous to that, she never would wear colors. Everything was always neutrals. 
And so she was like, this is the first time I'm wearing a color because I, it's not an event where the royals, uh, royals are involved. And it was this yeah. beautiful orange gown. And so, but she said, if you pay attention to my fashion before that, I just had to wear neutrals because I didn't know what the other people was wearing and they yeah. weren't telling me. Nobody was giving me any kind of clue of what they were doing, but at the same time telling me, you can't wear the colors that they're wearing, but not telling us what yeah. colors that they're wearing. So she says, I just chose to go with neutrals. And while she said that, I said, but they didn't understand that a black girl looks amazing in neutrals. <laughs> they were trying to set her up for failure. They were just setting her up to knock it out of the park. To knock it out the park. <laughs> Remember when she was in that brown with that sickening brown ass hat? Yes, the hat. Oh, oh that hat when she was in the white and when she was in the cream, like you don't understand that it makes her look fucking beautiful mm -hmm. with her makeup, with her skin complexion, with everything. She looks sickening. It's also like, had they had an ounce of a brain, they would have realized the reason that people love Diana too in a fashion sense is that her looks are iconic, clean, classic. And they were putting Megan, who's following this very similar Princess Diana story, yes. in clean, classic looks and like yes. setting her up to look timeless and perfect. Yes. And you don't, you're just adding to her popularity, even exactly. without the, even with the race, take the racist stuff out. She is, she's a traditionally beautiful girl. Beautiful. She is slim. She is, you know, she doesn't wear her hair curly. She wears it straight. So she knew to give this little, she, she's giving this look. And so mm -hmm. it is, it is a beautiful girl. And she's an outsider. The people love this. Regardless if y'all may not love an outsider, but this is, this person is giving them hope. She is more of an outsider than Diana was. Exactly. So it's going to be even worse with her. This is giving them hope that it is even possible. Just the idea that a prince went outside of, you know, the norm in regards mm -hmm. to, you know, marrying somebody who's of blue blood, you know, yeah. noble blood, you know. He done married a network USA actress. Actress <laughs> from America. <laughs> now, that ain't new. <laughs> that ain't new because we had oh you know the one who advocated the throne uh, what was her name wallace miss wallace yeah, wallace yeah. baby mm -hmm. um wallace simpson yes that's right i think yes that's right. and yeah. so those fashion moments in that early time before she either right after she they got married or right before i can't remember exactly when but she just was so gorgeous in these neutral fashion moments. And for me, that was that has been this week has been my favorite fashion situation because yeah. she just looked gorgeous in those neutrals. I know that you're not as much of a drag race girly as I am, but I watch every episode of drag race, every new. The only one I'm not watching is Italia because it is a huge flop. Um, but otherwise, <laughs> I watch every other franchise. Um, and currently this, this mine is a lot more superficial than yours, but that's what I love. Um, we this on is that in our bio. <laughs> there we go. I gotta stay on brand. Um, this week on Canada versus the world, which if you haven't kept up, they're doing this new weird offshoot now. It's like all star all stars, but not all stars, and Rue doesn't host it. So it's like it's it feels it feels off brand a little bit. But the girls that are on it are still very much bringing looks. Um, and so the concept is like every country that has competed on Drag Race is kind of competing against each other. And, ho and Canada is this current season's like host 
country. Brooklyn okay. Heights hosts it, um, which Brooklyn is serving some looks, old Miss Continental. Like she is looking so good this season. Mm. Um, but from America, we have Raja O'Hara and Silky Nutmeg Nosh. Um, I and love Raja. Raja, we Raja. Okay, so that's what we're about to talk about. Raja, <laughs> if y'all don't know and you don't watch Drag Race, you don't care about Raja, you're missing out. Um, every look she serves is so good, and she makes most of her looks herself. For Drag Race these days, it's usually skinny white bitches who pay a designer X amount of money to make their looks for them, and then they go on and win. It's these little twinks with designers on their payroll. Raja makes all her shit herself when she was on which all used to be the criteria at the beginning right yes you had well i don't know that it was the criteria but before drag race was the machine that it is now it was so much more like ragtag and the queens weren't as rich and didn't have as much money so they had to kind of make their own stuff or just bring stuff they were already wearing um but yeah the fact now that raja makes all her own stuff really sets her apart um, and this week on the runway, the category was plaid. She did this like Carmen San Diego, like just gorgeous, like plaid, very like structural look. She had like this mask on and her signature purple, like, oh, and this hat is like diamond boots. Like, <laughs> I know you have this hat in your closet. Um, but it's just, it looks so good. The Then the way that she sold it on the runway, like, She's eating the other girls up. If you're not watching Canada versus the world, to be honest, you're not missing that much. But Raja's runways are worth checking out, at the very least, on Instagram. Um, I love her, and I love everything she does. And this week really just, like, blew me away. It's so good. I love, like, a face mask moment in fashion. That feels very cool and edgy to me, which it might be low-hanging fruit, but I don't care. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> but, yes, this plant looks love. Yeah. I knew you would like that hat. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just wasn't bit by the drag race bug. And but I love drag. That's what's crazy. Yeah. I, I love drag, but it's a certain type of drag that I like. And when you, I like drag with looks, I like yeah. drag that has a style. I just I don't don't like regular, regular drag. I like drag that is costumey, mm -hmm. not camp. But costuming, I like this type of drag where it's... I like glamour yeah. in drag. Like, that's mm -hmm. what I... I love the fantasy of the glamour and the, like, the high femme art of it. Like, I, yes. I just... I love that. Yes. Yeah. That's what I... That's the kind of drag that I like. I like drag that looks like you put some thought in it. I don't like drag that looks like you bought it. I like mm -hmm. drag that looks like you made it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that I've never seen. Something interesting. And so, because that's the drag that I grew up on. Yeah. Um, in its heyday. And so, yeah, I, lo I love, 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 love drag, but I just never was bit by the drag race bug. It felt, I, I, I could be honest, it's it's because Rue has never been one of my favorite people. Yep. I He's that. very a popular coon to me. <laughs> you know, that the white folks eat up, but yeah. you know, that's another story. <laughs> yeah, Rue is one of those people that like, part of me is like, thank you for what you've done for the community and for representation and your place in culture cannot be understated or cannot be overstated rather and all of that. But the other half of me is like, 
bitch, you are late. You're not keeping up with the times. You are not really lifting up the people that you really need to be lifting up. Relic. You're really relic. That's the best way to put it. Yeah. It's like, yes, you are. You are relic. So you are so important and nobody can take away your stamp in history. But yeah, you're a relic. You are, you know, you are a black and white TV. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at chasing underscore threads and on Instagram at chasing threads pod. Um, hit us up with any looks that you're seeing that you love. If you have anything you want us to talk about, you know, we love being in conversation with y'all. Um, it's like my favorite part of doing this is getting to talk to Diamond and hearing her <laughs> opinion on stuff. Um, and also I want to hear what y'all have to say too, because like I said, I'm out here on lonely on this Fort Worth Island, baby. <laughs> Look, my hat says Winkers. I have on just a plain black. Like, I, I need some fashion love. So y'all give it to me on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and I can't wait to keep doing this and see y'all every week. Absolutely. And make sure y'all let us know what y'all want us to talk about. Just to give y'all a little teaser, we are, are going to be talking about Kanye West and Adidas. Mm-hmm. I have a we lot are going to be talking about Kanye. The Crown. What else mm-hmm. have we talked about? Kanye, the crown. And we just we just said we we're gonna do coming to America one and mm-hmm. two. But y'all let us know. We got so many ideas over here and we are glad to be back. Make sure you check out our other episodes. My favorite definitely is the one that covers Bill Clinton and his presidential mm-hmm. affair, because we yeah. go back and do a deep dive in that and have great conversations. And also the one about Versace and Rihanna. So make sure you check out the old episode and chance. I'm so glad to be back with you. Me too. I'm so happy to see you, Diamond. <laughs> Truly, not to get too deep into it and into the Marsha's plate of it all again, but like we were talking about earlier, having bastions in the community of brightness and of light, you, I'm going to fangirl for a second, but you are always able to lift me out of whatever I'm going through when I listen to you guys on Marsha's plate. And it, I feel like I'm with friends and I feel a little bit less hopeless. And getting to do this with you again is... Uh, it's such a bright spot, which I really need right now. So. See, this is why I told your ass we should have been doing this. I know. <laughs> I know. I, 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 you know, thank God for Zoom, I guess. But, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all. We will see y'all next episode. We are. We have officially made it to where it is not going to be uh, a set schedule, but we are going to try to do one episode at least a month if we feel the need to do it. At a at a faster pace, then yeah, but we're gonna at least be dedicated to doing one episode a month. And yeah, we'll see y'all next time. Bye. Bye. Chasing Dread.